welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. So we're in this series. We have two more weeks. And uh, this week I want to talk to you about secrecy. Now, I'll tell you the truth. When I said this, I was telling my wife about this. Every now and again, my kids get like the, the, the pre-version. I practice the, the teaching on them and then they all fall asleep <laughs> or run away. Um, but I was telling Laura about this and she, she says to me, is secrecy really even a discipline? Like, is that anybody else? Like when you think about secrecy, you're like, is that really actually a discipline of the church? Anyone? Anyone? Um, so it is, in fact, it is. And so what I want to do today is I want to start by kind of anchoring this thing in the scriptures because these uh, obviously are very important to us. Um, but I think uh, um, compelling, at least enough verses and enough mentions and enough talk of secrecy and hiddenness in the scriptures um, that it's something that we should be paying attention to. So I want to start there. And then I want to move to, um, have you ever heard the phrase, this is really about that? You ever heard that before? So somebody could be talking about something, you know, this, but really what they're talking about is something that's like just under the surface over here. So this is really about that. I want to suggest this morning that secrecy is one of those kinds of things. That this, if secrecy is the this, it's actually about a few other things. And I would like to explore that and kind of open those up a little bit because they're, they're character qualities and things that are Um, I think important just as far as what does it mean to be a human being, but certainly a person of faith. And so that's kind of what I want to do. And remember, if you don't have a Bible and you want them, they're always back there. Uh, So turn, if if you're not there, to Matthew chapter 6. And I want to start again by um, at least, I don't want to convince you, or I want to at least show you in a couple of spaces where the scriptures talk about secrecy. If you take notes, you might want to look up Psalm 31, Psalm 91. These are a couple of Old Testament passages. Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, specifically chapter 45. But I want to look specifically at a couple of ones in Matthew where Jesus speaks. So look at verse 2 of chapter 6. Jesus says this. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. But truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Um, Skip to verse Five of chapter 6. He goes on and he's talking about prayer. He says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. I tell you the truth, they have uh, received their reward in full. Uh, flip to verse 16, I think it is. Verse 16 says this, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they're fasting. I tell you, they've received their reward in full. So you get the gist of it. Jesus is basically saying, when you do these things, don't do it out in public. Do it in secret. Because, and, and, and then he actually references God, and he says, your father who is in secret will reward you in full. Um, keep going in Matthew chapter 17. This is the end of the transfiguration. Jesus goes up on a mountain. He's with a few of his disciples. He sees Elijah and Moses. And then he says this to his disciples in verse 9. At the end of this kind of uh, event, he says, as they're coming down the mountain, Jesus instructs them, do not tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. So this amazing thing happens. Um, Lots going on underneath the surface as far as Elijah and Moses showing up. All kinds of narrative things Matthew's doing. But be that as it may, Jesus says, don't tell anybody until the Son of Man has been resurrected from the dead, essentially. Um, If you keep going in the book of Mark, chapter 1, Jesus is talking. And this is an event where he actually heals somebody. I think it's a leper, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Verse 44 of chapter 1, Jesus says to this guy, 
see that you don't tell anyone, or see that you don't tell this to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest, offer sacrifices that Moses commanded. So over and over and over again, Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples, he says, if you're going to pray, if you're going to fast, if you're going to do these things, do it in secret. Uh, A number of times, this being one example, when Jesus heals somebody, he tells them, don't tell anybody. But, and, uh, or or don't, let, don't tell anybody who I am. A couple of times he says, uh, if you think you know who I am, don't tell anybody. Essentially, it's not time yet. So there's this idea that Jesus commands his disciples a number of different times, don't tell anybody, keep it in secret. Uh, if you go on and you look at Romans chapter 1, Paul talks about um, the, the creation and that God's invisible qualities, this hidden God, are shown in creation. And then in Colossians 1, if you remember this one, uh, Paul talks about the, that the image of the invisible God is made present or made known through Jesus. So all over the scriptures, there's this idea that either sometimes the things that we do or the things that we might say... Um, we should keep in hidden. We should keep in secret. We should keep them hidden. And even, even uh, going as far as God is spoken of in terms of hiddenness and secrecy. So if secrecy uh, is present in the scriptures, which I think it is, and we could go on and on and on, and I won't bore you with all the rest of the, the, the verses that you can find this, but if secrecy, if this is really about that, then what's going on with secrecy? Um, in fact, I, 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 would, I would probably submit that many of us when, we've, when we talk about secrets, if we've been around church or religion a, at all, secrets are bad, right? They're not something that we should be um, doing. They're not something we should be uh, encouraged to participate in. See, you know, uh, we just studied First John. If you remember, John talks about light all the time. He says, don't keep things in the secret because you keep them, keep them in the dark then. Bring it out into the light. We're people of the light. Bring it out. So what is this whole bit about secrecy and why would I encourage you to do it? Uh, I want to th- suggest four things this morning. If secrecy, this, is really about that, what's the that? I want to suggest first and foremost that secrecy is actually about identity. It's about identity. Um, you guys have, uh, maybe you've seen this play out before. You've heard the story of the little girl, the little boy. They ride their bike for the first time, and, and, you know, mom or dad's over there looking on, sitting on the steps. And what does the little boy or little girl say? You know, daddy, daddy, watch me. Mommy, mommy, watch me. Um, because we all, in some way, shape, or form, as humans, crave the attention, affection, affirmation of mom and dad, right? Um, we've, uh, Laura and I love the Olympics. We're Olymp- Did any of you watch a lot of the Olympics, by the way? Yeah, I, we DVR'd. Um, there's only so much room on our DVR, uh, our hard drive, and it was like full all the time. Um, so we watched the Olympics a lot. Love the gymnastics, as you can imagine. Um, three children, three girls, four girls in my home, not because I like gymnastics so much, but because the kids do. <laughs> so we end up watching gymnastics all the time and uh and here's how it would go you know gymnastics is on tonight let's watch it and all the girls yeah yeah gymnastics so then we would go downstairs and um we would sit down and inevitably 10 minutes into this deal one of them would sort of slink off during one of the commercials that i'm fast forwarding through and then they would come back fully donned in a leotard right and then another one would slink off, and they would come back, and, all, and, and it would take no more than like 15 minutes every time we did this. They would all be in their leotards, and they would just be, you know, and, and then, of course, they're not watching the Olympics anymore. They are full tumbling passes down the length of the, of the basement, you know, doing the steal and running up and down, back and forth, jumping around. And, and the two younger ones, more than the, the oldest one, they would say, Dad, 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 watch this, watch this, watch this. Or Mom, 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 watch this, watch this. And then they'd do their things, and we're like, We're trying to watch the Olympics here, friends. Like, what is going on? But what is it about this question? 
A child will ask, dad, dad, watch, or the statement, dad, watch me, or mom, watch me. What is it, what is in that that is so profound? Many of us, um, I think it's certainly normal to ask this question or to make the statement, watch me, watch me, because especially when we're young, we seek, we long for, we desire affirmation and, and really this, this confirmation of who you are, right? This is, this is one of the major role of our parents in our lives, to say, I affirm this in you. I call this out of you. I, I, I speak that. I affirm it. This is who you are. And I guess I want to ask the question this morning, do we ever stop asking that question or do we ever stop making that statement? Watch me. Hey, watch me. Maybe, maybe you know, after we go through puberty, we stop asking that question. Or maybe once we go to college, we stop asking that question. Or maybe once we start having kids or we get a job, we stop asking this question. But I think if we're honest, um, in some ways, we all continue to ask this question. And I think for some of us who had a positive experience as, as kids where our parents or people in our lives, adults, like affirmed and confirmed certain things about us, maybe we ask that question less because we're grounded, we're rooted in who we truly are. But I think some of us, in all kinds of different ways and shapes and forms, say this or ask this question, watch me, watch me. Um, maybe if you're a parent, uh, you're in the midst of that. Um, one of our daughters, uh, we're in this phase where um, whenever something goes bad, it's like everybody hates me. Anybody ever been there? You know, like, oh, Ma, you hate me, or Dad, you hate me, or, you know, my sister hates me, or everything, you know, they, they, they said this about me, and now, and it's just everything's like snowballs out of, and just the other day, like, as parents, we're trying to sort of nip this one in the bud, right? So we sit youngster down on the bed, and, and uh, beautiful moment, I watch my wife just, like, nail it as a parent, and she says to, to one of our daughters, she looks in her eyes, and she says, you are my daughter, and you belong, and you are loved. And I want you to say that back to me. And it took a while, but you are my daughter. You belong. You are loved. And so it's this affirmation. It's this, this calling out, this identifying who this little girl is and trying to allow that to have life. Some of us got that when we were kids. Some of us didn't. Um, Augustine, the great... Uh, church father who I agree with on very little, um, says this, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Right? You, God has made us for himself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. The idea being that the God who made us has to be the one who calls out, who identifies, who gives you identity and affirms that. And until we find our identity and it's rooted in that, we're always longing, always searching, always asking, always saying, watch me, watch me. And we feed on this. And when it goes really bad, when it goes really bad, um, it becomes like an addiction. It becomes this thing that we, this addiction we develop, this affirmation that we just long for, seek for, desire. John Ortberg talks about it this way. He says, some people live in bondage to what others think of them. The addiction takes many forms. If we find ourselves often getting hurt by what others say about us, we probably have it. If we habitually compare ourselves with other people, we probably have it. If we live with this nagging sense that we aren't important enough or special enough, we probably have it. If we keep trying to impress important people, we probably have it. If we're worried that someone might think 
ill of us, or he or she would find out that we are an approval addict, we probably are. Right? Secrecy, keeping something hidden, not making something known intentionally. Secrecy is a discipline that's about identity. It's about it's a way that helps us get free of this people-pleasing stuff that we participate in. And I would, I would submit it makes a space for a deeper engagement and love and experience of God. When we keep something hidden purposefully, when we keep something in secret, something that we've done, something that we say, some part about us, but we keep it secret on purpose, it causes us and forces us to ask questions like, where do I find identity? Where do I find meaning? Because if I keep this secret, then I don't have people reflecting back to me whatever it is I'm saying, doing, thinking, right? So it forces us to ask the question, where do I find meaning? Who, who speaks into who am I? And these kinds of difficult questions, what is enough? So secrecy, I would submit first and foremost, it's about identity. I think it's also about control. Uh, many of you know a good friend of mine named Jeff Holmberg, and Jeff was at the last art spill, and uh, he shared about this, these couple of pieces that he had been working on. And um, as he shared, it was just, um, I found it terribly profound. He talked about this metaphor, and he actually has a little symbol. If you've seen his, like, railroad uh, picture things, I'm not, do, I'm not doing a terrible job of describing it. There are these, like, poster-framed wood things that he did. They're awesome, really cool. There's this icon on there, and he talked about this idea of something becoming, or moving from unseen to seen. Moving from unseen to seen. So in every, and here's my take on it. Now I'm taking Jeff's idea and, and making it my own. In every aspect of our lives, Every single thing that we do, whether it's a thought, an idea, a feeling, a to-do list, a creative act, uh, something in art, words, sentences, everything that we participate in is this movement that we have control over where we take something that's unseen and we move it to the scene, right? If it's a thought or a word, like let's say I have, I'm going to do something nice for my friend. It's, some, it's this idea that resides in my head, in my heart. And then I choose, I make, I, I make a move to move this thing from the unseen in my heart, underground, so to speak, and I actually bring it to life, right? It's this movement from unseen to seen. And here's the thing. On a very deep level, I think every day, every moment, I control that. I choose when that happens. I choose what it looks like. And secrecy, then, is about control. It's about, um, it's about the control that I have in moving things from unseen to seen or the relinquishing of that control. In secrecy, when we keep something secret, when we don't choose to be the person who moves it from unseen to seen, but rather we take out a step of faith, we step out in faith, and we allow God to be the person who controls that, we step back and we relinquish control that we have, that you have, every single day, we move things from unseen to seen. And in secrecy, we give up that control. Dallas Willard talks about, he talks about it in terms of like PR, like we give up our, the control over our PR department. He says this, in the discipline of secrecy, we abstain from causing our good deeds and qualities to be known. We may even take steps to prevent them from being known. We learn to love to be unknown and even accept misunderstanding without the loss of our peace, joy, or purpose. He goes on, he says, we allow God to decide when our deeds will be known and when our light will be noticed. In a very real way, guys, when we practice this discipline of secrecy, we let go of the grip that we have and the desire that we have to control that move from moving something from unseen to seen. So it's about identity, it's about control. I would submit it's about motives. When we talk about secrecy and this discipline of keeping something secret, 
It's a check on the motives that we have, the things that are deep inside of our hearts, the things that, that actually drive what we say and do. It's about motives. Um, we surrender our desire or our motivation, and we submit ourselves to secrecy. We allow, it allows us to take stock of our motivations, those, those probing questions like, why am I sharing this? Right? If you guys, I'm guessing most of you have Facebook, you know, you, you, you've been on the interwebs before. Um, have you ever, like, you're surfing the internets and you see something on Facebook and you're like, why did they share that? Yes? Everybody, everybody been there? Yes, okay. Have you ever had one where you're like, why did I share that? Yeah, right? Or a spouse who's looked at you and said, why did you share that? Secrecy, or at least this discipline of secrecy, like choosing willfully, volitionally, to not do that makes us ask those kinds of questions like, why am I sharing this? What's the motive behind the action of typing this on the computer? Or if you're not a, a techie, um, doing something at work that causes people to notice what you're seeing or doing or saying. Why am I sharing this? Why do I need this to be known? Right? Like, what's behind that? What's the question behind the question? Why, does this, why do I have to have this known by this group of people? Um, I have a good friend of mine who, ironically enough, I uh, follow her on Twitter, and I saw this link that she posted about Instagram. Um, and I'm sure we've all experienced this before, and I've heard it in all kinds of different versions in different ways where um, this, this person wrote this article about, here's what I post on Instagram. I post these beautiful pictures of, like, my children with the setting sun in the background and these cute little footprints, you know, like walking down the beach. Or I post these pictures of, like, this unbelievable sunset, you know, uh, glistening off my massive tomatoes that I'm going to enter into the state fair for this context. Or I post, you know, whatever it is, it's like the gleaming, beautiful things of our life. And then she writes this. She says, what I don't take photos of is my husband and I bickering at 5 a.m. because my oldest has awoken from a nightmare. What I don't take pictures of are the bottles of wine that I eye greedily throughout the day, hungry to take the edge off this stressful time in my life. What I don't take pictures of or dis- is uh, I don't display the envy that I feel for my friends who don't have kids who are enjoying summers on the beach traveling to visit their friends and family. I really related to that last one there. Right? These are the things that we don't post on what's it called or wherever. When we, when we talk about secrecy and this idea of willfully, volitionally, not posting something, saying something, it questions or, or, or it calls into question the motive behind why are we posting it? Why are we saying that? What's behind that? Why do I have to have that known? And last, I think if this is really about that, I think secrecy is ultimately... It's ultimately about trust. Remember where we started, right? Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, if you pray, if you fast, if you do these things, do it in secret. Don't, don't put it out on a billboard. And I think when we really press into this idea of doing something in secret or choosing to keep something secret, we're asking the, asking the question of ourselves, do I trust that God is at work in the unseen? Do I trust that God is at work underground where nobody can see it? I, uh, I like to garden. I wouldn't consider myself a good gardener. Um, we finally, this year, have gotten basil to grow. Um, really excited about that. Our tomatoes are terrible. But 
I am a, I'm, a, I'm the most like nervous um, um, ADD gardener you've ever met in your entire life. Like I'll plant something, I know that's hard for some of you to believe, um, but I'll plant something in the spring, and I'm not kidding you, like three, four, five days later when it might actually start germinating, I'll come home from work, and like I will go, hey, honey, hey, kids, how's it going? You know, everybody hugs, whatever, and then they all vanish into wherever they go. And then I'll just kind of meander out to the back of the garden, you know, and look in there, and I'll get down and look at it. Is it coming up yet? Every single day. Like, like, I, like it's not going to happen, right? Like, I've planted the seed, and then it's not going to grow, or it's not going to come up. And every day I'll go out there, and I'll be, is it started? Has it started? And sometimes I almost want to, like, I've been found, like, helping the seed, you know, like, pushing it back. Isn't there something about butterflies? Like, don't help them out of the cocoon, because then they can't fly. Uh, like, I'll find, you know, dig back the little thing so that the seed will grow. Like, I don't believe that what happens underground is actually going to happen. And when we talk about secrecy, when we talk about you choosing to keep something in the dark, keep something behind the curtain, keep something out of public eye, it just forces us to that place where we have to ask the question, do I really trust that God is at work behind the scenes, doing something, growing something, making something beautiful? This great line in David Crowder's song, he says... um, I can't even remember where it is. Something about the, 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 the seed like pushing through the dirt. Like, do you believe, do I believe that God is at work under the surface, behind the curtain, doing the things that God does for us, to us, with us? So as we kind of wrap this up this morning, I guess... I want to I make sure that we get secrecy. Certainly, this is about that. It's about identity. It's about motives. It's about control. It's about trust. Here are a couple of thoughts. We've been doing this series on channels, and I've been encouraging you to participate in something each week. Um, we've, we've done the Lexio Divina. We've done Imaginative Prayer. We've done a number of different things. So here's kind of the takeaway this morning. You might be th- sitting thinking, okay, that's nice, but now what? Here is just a couple of ideas, and take these for what they're worth. Maybe you throw them out, and you try something else. But if secrecy is really a discipline that we can participate in that helps create these grooves in our heart, right? This is the whole premise of the series that actually allow us to experience the fullness of who God is. Here's an idea. If you are on on the internet, if you're on social networks, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is that you do, take a week and post nothing. Don't post anything. Don't take pictures. Don't, Don't, if you do Instagram, stop. Don't post anything. And each time you're tempted or you would normally put that on Facebook or put that on Twitter, ask a couple of key questions. Why do I want to post that? What is it about this being known that entices me? Who shapes me? And where do I find identity? Is it the affirmation of friends or the the number of thumbs up or the number of, you know, people that, that reply or... What's, what's there for me to listen to and hear this week? And as you do, as, if, if you choose to participate in this, just take each of those, kind of like fasting, we'll talk about this next week, but each time you're hungry, right, take it as an opportunity to remind you to be in communion with God, to be in contact, to be in um, constant communication with God about what is it, why do I need to post that? Why do I want this to be shared? And allow God to speak into that. Now, if you're here and you're like, I don't do Facebook. I, these young kids all they, you know, leave us out. Now, I thought something for you, so don't. <laughs> no, I, I was have maybe just a little bit. Okay. 
But I know that there are others, right? And, and, and uh, you're important to me, to us. So if you don't Facebook, if you're not a social networker, here's a couple of ideas. Do something kind, totally anonymous. Do something kind for someone in your life, completely anonymously. Like do everything that you can to stay under the radar, to not be found out. Um, maybe there's somebody at work. Maybe there's somebody in your family. Do something kind towards them, completely anonymous. Or um, you could uh, go and serve somewhere and do it anonymously. Don't tell your spouse. Don't tell your kids. Don't tell any. Just go, serve, and like slowly walk away, under the radar, in secret. Uh, or, or possibly this one could be a little bit uh, more challenging. Do something kind for somebody who's recently criticized you. And don't let them know about it. Somebody who's kind of been on your case at work or somebody who's been, like, just after you, um, bless them. Do something kind for them and don't try as hard as you can to not let anybody find out about it. If secrecy is important, if Jesus tells his disciples to do this, to participate in this, what is in it for us? I think it exposes some of the things that we've talked about. Who do we trust? What do we trust? What are our motivations in doing this? And hopefully as we do this this week, um, I, I believe, otherwise we wouldn't be doing this series, that God has something for you in that. So I'm going to ask Ben to come up. We're going uh, to be um, closing with communion this morning. And so as Ben and the band comes up, um, let me just uh, set this up for us, and uh, we'll, we'll participate in the Lord's Supper together. If you're new to this or you're new to our community, um, we believe that Jesus is uh, pretty important that uh, he is and was who he said he was and did what he said he would do. And uh, Jesus was Jewish, if you didn't know this, and there's this long, long history uh, called the Passover in Judaism where the Jews would participate in this meal, and it had all kinds of different blessings and cups and bitter herbs and an egg and all kinds of different things that had meaning and value. And they spoke and they reminded the people of Israel, remember that God has brought you out of exile, out of Egypt, out of the Exodus. And then Jesus on this night with his disciples, right before he dies, like flips the whole thing on its head. He re- reinterprets it and he gives it new meaning. And he says, this bread is the bread of, uh, it's, it's a symbol of my body, which is about to be broken for you. In this cup, which you have probably drank from your whole life as a good Jewish person, um, this cup is, is, a, is a new covenant. It's a new agreement. It's a new deal between God and humanity. And it's, it's a symbol of my blood, which is going to be shed on the cross for you. And so whenever you come to this table, whenever you eat of this bread and you drink of this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Connect yourself to the story that you were once in exile and God has rescued you. Um, connect it to the story that maybe you are in exile and you need to be rescued. And this may be a moment where you come and you recognize that and you receive grace and forgiveness from God for the first time. Um, So anybody who wants to come and participate in this, you're welcome to, um, because we believe that there's something more happening than just bread and just a cup. That God and God's grace is actually giving God's self to you this morning. And so if you want to receive that, then we would say, come and receive grace. Um, Let me pray. Uh, As you come, there's um, two cups. There's red wine and white grape juice, uh, bread, and then then there's gluten-free options up here. Uh, I think it's actually on the bar up there. So there's um, 
non-gluten-free options as well as gluten-free options out there. So come, take the bread, dip it in the cup, and, uh, and receive from God today. Let me pray. God, we ask that as we come to this table, that you would meet us. God, we want to connect ourselves to thousands and thousands of people, millions of people who have come before us, whether they be Jewish or Christian or both, who have come to a meal that is symbolic and has deep meaning and value. And like you've done before, remind us, God, that we were once in exile, that we were once far away. And that because of the cross and because of the resurrection, you have brought us near through faith. God, I pray that if there's any in this room this morning that um, feel like they're in exile, feel like they are far away, God, that even just through the simple act of walking and receiving and eating, that you might remind them that you are near, as close as the very breath that we breathe and that you are here, available for me, for us today. And so God, as we remember, as we recommit ourselves to what we've said we would follow and the the path that we would travel, God, might you just be present in a very real and meaningful way to us. We anticipate and we look forward to pray these things in your name. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter by Awakening Community. See you next time.